I'm Derek Thompson, longtime writer with The Atlantic Magazine on tech, culture, and politics. There is a lot of noise out there, and my goal is to cut through the headlines, loud tweets, and hot takes in my new podcast, Plain English. I'll talk to some of the smartest people I know to give you clear viewpoints and memorable takeaways. Plain English starts November 16th. Listen for free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. Joining us now, back for a second time, the manager of the Red Sox, it is Alex Cora. Alex, how are you, man? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good, man. You getting ready to, I mean, we're almost there. You're getting closer to spring training. Yes, uh, the last few days... I've been kind of like back to the grind, a lot of meetings um, uh, with Haim and the group, with the coaches, with players. So uh, it's, it's go time, you know, so uh, I'll be there um, a week from tomorrow. I'll go to, go to JetBlue. Uh, there's a lot of people down there already. I think we got most of the pitching staff uh, led by Sale and Pivetta. Uh, Yoshida will be there early. So it will be It'll be great, you know, before the madness starts, right? Uh, it'll be nice and quiet, just hanging out with the players, and then you guys will be down there, and then it'll, it'll be loud and uh, back to business. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt about that. So, hey, let's start with Winter Weekend, because you get there, Rafael Devers had just signed a massive contract, $331 million. So did he at least buy you dinner? Did he buy the drinks? Like, what did he do there? Did he hook you guys <laughs> so, up? So, uh before we announced it, right, uh, we went out the night before to one of my favorite restaurants at the North End, Aria. Uh, we know the owner, yeah. Massimo, so I invited Rafi, and I told him, this is the last dinner I'm going to pay for. And uh, <laughs> we had a great conversation. Uh, Eddie Romero was there, Sam Kennedy, then the announcement, and, um, you know, he, he went to, to uh, Springfield. He was there for 24 hours. You know, you, you're all over the place. Like, uh, I mean, if you remember the last night I was in Springfield, something really bad happened to me right before uh, I started. So I never been to that venue. I, mm -hmm. I, I went to the, the ones before. Yeah. That place was huge, but this one very convenient. And uh, I saw him hanging out with David and Pedro. They gave him great advice and uh, just looking forward to manage him, you know, for a long, long time. Yeah, so you guys paid him like one of the best players in the sport, which clearly he's established that level of play. I mean, he was, what, 22 when he led Major League Baseball in doubles. So, I mean, he's off to a pretty good start. And the defense, it got better last year. I know it tailed off at the end when he was dealing with a little bit of an injury. But is there an area where he can improve? Is it a leadership thing in the clubhouse? Like, where do you think he actually could get better? 
Uh, he'll be fine in the clubhouse. Um, I saw that in September last year. Obviously, he wasn't happy with the way we played throughout the season. There were a lot of open conversations, not only with me, but with the front office of what we need to do, what we need to improve, and how the future looks. And uh, I, I, I bet he didn't think it was $300 million, you know, but uh, <laughs> he knew that he wanted to be part of this. Um, I'll say offensively, um, he, he made some strides in September. I think he, he walked 15 times, which is huge for him. And uh, control the strike zone. It, it, I think David said it best the other day, right? Like, you know, you know, he felt like I want some certain times in his career he didn't have protection. It's not about protection. It's about who you are. And uh, they're going to game plan around you. And, and there's going to be a lot of teams that they're going to decide that Rafi's not going to be the guy. So take your watch. If, he, if he's able to do that, um, he's going to be in a great spot. I, I do believe before the injuries last year, um, he was going to be one of the special seasons. He was hitting the ball out of the ballpark, you know, a lot of extra base hits. And, and you know, to your point, too, I, I love what you said. You know, people don't, don't realize that. But defensively, it was night and day. I mean, he went from, what, minus 15 to minus 2. So uh, hopefully this year – He's a positive defender for us, and um, you know he can help us win a lot of ball games. All right, so going back to the craziness of the winter meeting, so all these deals are getting done like crazy, like towards the end of your time there in San Diego, and we get the announcement: Bogart signs for two hundred eighty million with the Padres. So, how do you separate? Like you, you're pro- you got to be happy for your guy, right? Like you've managed him for a long time, but at the same time, you're thinking to yourself, like, okay, now we got to figure out like who's playing shortstop, what we're doing. So, how do you separate those two things in the moment when you get the news? Uh, the, there were conversations before uh, the offseason hit. Um, you know, we we were the only team actually that was able to negotiate with uh, with Bogey and Scott. I think in this one, Scott, you know, he drove the bus in this one. Uh, in 19, I think Xander, uh, he he wanted security, right? And, and he, he loved it here. So uh, he gave us a discount, quote unquote. I don't know if that was a discount. At that point, everybody was <laughs> like, wow, that's a good contract, right? But the business has grown and, and you know, you saw the way money was thrown, thrown around this year. And I, I do believe Scott this year, you know, talked to him a little bit about what can happen, what might happen. Um, you know, obviously, you know, you saw certain quotes about what we did or what we didn't do in spring training. Uh, but 11 years is 11 years. And uh, I, I still remember we had an idea what was going to happen. I, I do believe our, our offer was very competitive. The, the the last one to to bogey but at one point it seems like it was you know they were on the other side already they were in the west coast and uh i was on my way to arizona to go see Ike, pivera ref nighter and bogey i was gonna have lunch and uh me and ramon vasquez our uh, bench coach we were at the airport in san diego we were at the bar and we look up on Sports Center, and boom, you know, breaking news. And Xander Boger signed with the Padres. I was like, oh, wow, you know, and then 11 years. And we actually, we cheer for him. We we're like, wow, 11 years, good for the <laughs> yeah. kid, you know. So uh, we actually call him, you know, uh, we talk a little bit. Then the next day, uh, we, we talked for like 20 minutes and we went through the process. And uh, I, I told him jokingly, I said, bro, you would have signed with us, and then I found out that a team offered you 11 years. I was gonna <laughs> kill you, you know. So uh, just happy for him, um, happy for Christian. I think that was a outstanding contract for him. Uh, I know he he wanted to come back so bad, but three years, 30 million dollars—that's a lot of money, um, you know. And then so on and so on. These guys, they 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 have a special place. In our family, uh, we we still love them. You know what they did in eighteen for us and throughout the years. Um, you know, has been amazing. Uh, coming back from the suspension and 
and just embrace me and, and, and treat me the same way they did before. That means a lot, and uh, I wish them the best. Uh, it's a little bit different this year because we play all of them. I actually had a conversation with uh, with Mookie today. Like, man, you got everybody in the West Coast. You got JD, you got Xander, <laughs> it's you. But we play them, so uh, good luck the whole season. It's like the four games they play against us, you know. Uh, <laughs> we'll go to their their blue zones, and we get them out, and then we shake hands, and uh, we catch up with uh, the cold side of it with the families. That's wild that you found out just sitting at the bar watching it and he came on on SportsCenter. That's absolutely crazy. So yeah. I guess the one thing would just be like, so I, at winter weekend, these guys are John Henry, the ownership group, et cetera, and Heim, they're <laughs> getting booed, right? And part of it is because of Xander Bogarts now with another team. So I think like the fan base for the most part can understand why you're not going to $280 million to pay Bogarts. But I would wonder this, like there had been this sort of perception out there that, hey, they could have got a deal done last spring training. And then Xander talked during the season about maybe being open to it. But he does have the most powerful agent in the game, who you know very well, the Scott best Forrest. The best in the business. The best yeah. in the business. So do you think sometimes that perception that they could have got a deal done gets exaggerated based on who his agent is and maybe what's out there in the future? There, There's, you know, I learned a lot this year, not only with uh, Bogey's situation, but with a lot of situations, guys that ended up signing with other teams. Uh, you know, it's, it was wild. Uh, this this time, if you think about it, when, when I got here in 18, it was Mitch right away. We signed him while we were in, in Orlando, and then it was like, okay, J.D., when are you going to sign with us? You know? <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and we waited and waited and waited. Um Dave didn't add too many too many uh, free agents, and that was the plan. It was Mitch and JD, and we waited, waited, waited. In nineteen, it was the other way around. We lost uh, Craig and we lost Joe. Um, you know, we did the Nate deal and uh, Pierce, but we didn't do much. Um, obviously, twenty happened uh, last, going into twenty one. Uh, because of COVID and then because of the lockout, it's been like we, we, I mean, just being in the suite and listening to everything that, that was going on never happened, right? It's a lot of Zoom calls and all that. So the, the, the live, the live thing, it was surreal, you know, like, I mean, I can tell you stories or I'm not going to tell you stories, but uh, <laughs> it was a great learning experience just uh, to, to, to be able to, just learn about the business, how it works, how the agents are, you know, dealing with everything with the, with free agency. Uh, at one point down in San Diego for like eight hours, that was nuts. It was crazy. Yeah. You know, it was like, okay, this guy, oh no, he's gone. He got four years. This guy, oh no, he's gone. Like, wow. But uh, going back to the question, uh, there's, you know, Scott, he, he did an outstanding job and that's what he does. And like, He's the best of the best. He, if, you know, for me, he's a Hall of Famer. Let's put it that way. I yeah. mean, he, he's revolution. The, the business of baseball is different because of Scott Boris, you know, and uh, you got the pillow contracts with Beltre, right? Uh, when he went to Boston and then Beltre went to Texas and got the money. Somehow, some way, I, I can go back when I was a player in 2004. Um, you know, Beltre wanted to stay in L.A., and all of a sudden, the Dodgers signed J.D. Drew, Derek Lowe, and somehow Beltre ended up in Seattle getting his money. Like, I mean, he he does his job. And uh, I don't know about in-season talks and all that. You know, uh, I know the media, sometimes they, they, they cross the line or they get their sources. But I think, you know, throughout the year – he concentrated on playing and performing. And uh, we had the opportunity in, in October. It was just us. It just happens that, you know, at that point, why not, right? Let's get to November or the end of the World Series and see what happened. And, uh, you know, he ran into an 11-year contract with the Padres. <laughs> yeah, with the Padres. I don't know well, if Bogey wants to play 11 years, man. I don't know about that, but uh, he got that, it. <laughs> it's, a long, it's a long contract. I don't know if you want to pass up on any of that money, though. So he may have to fill out the 11 years. So you mentioned Scott Boris is a Hall of Famer. Dave Dombrowski, too. I mean, and he may have won that negotiation with the JD thing when they held out forever before JD actually got to you guys 
and 18. So that's a heck of a job by Dabrowski. Just took the Phillies to the World Series, too, as everybody knows. So then, of course, the move is you guys are getting ready and Story's going to play shortstop this year. And then you get the unfortunate news that he needs to have surgery. So, Alex, we heard Heim Bloom talking about it when he had after the surgery where he was really excited to take over, get back to shortstop. How tough was that? when he got that news, like you just feel last year, he's limited to 94 games. And then it feels like since he's gotten here, kind of snake bitten, like what was sort of his mentality when he got that news? Um, I remember I got the text January 1st. And I was Ooh. like, Oh, you're thank you. You know, like <laughs> actually it really helped. It's like, stop partying, you know, enough is this, you know, like back to business. <laughs> but, uh, I went to see Trevor right after the meetings he just started his uh, throwing progression. He was swinging the bat well. We he actually took me to see the maps, uh, you know, against uh, against Milwaukee, and uh, we talked oh, Luca about Luca Versianis. Yes, yes. He, <laughs> nice. he made, I mean, he did a good job. Great seats, four seats, you know, and uh, he was a uh, he was a good host. And uh, we had dinner that night, and we talked about it, and he was excited, you know. Obviously disappointed that. Bogey wasn't going to be with us, but, you know, the business is the business and we had to turn the page and he was getting ready for that. And uh, it, it's one of those that, you know, it's, it, it's, it's hard, but at the same time, um, if you look back and I have said it in other venues, the contract extending Kike in September or August, that was huge for us because, we have a quality center fielder, a quality second baseman, a quality shortstop in one player, and we can like move or you know we can make some moves based on Kike. And right now, well, you know he's going to play a lot of shortstop for now. Uh, we're excited about that, and uh, uh, I know Trevor is going to be w- working hard to get back as soon as possible. And uh, you know the goal here is to to get off to a great start, play good baseball for a while and uh, get Trevor back and uh, put pressure on the ownership to add some weapons, you know, when uh, July 31st or whenever the deadline is and uh, improve the team. Load it up again. Yeah, and you mentioned Kike. I feel like the underrated part about him last year is you guys missed his back because he missed so much time. I mean, there was a stretch in 21, Alex, where you put him back in leadoff, I believe it was the 27th of June. So he's there until the 26th of August when he went down with the COVID absence. He was a three-win player, three wins above replacement. The only guy better during that stretch was Juan Soto. So getting his bat back is big, too. And, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's unbelievable you guys got that deal done. So at least you have a guy that can fill in it short for the time being. But going back to story for a second here, if you look at some of the numbers, like his arm strength numbers, 40th percentile, 19th, and then 8th last year, the past couple of seasons, is there any hope that or any maybe like long-term relief that, hey, we knew he had an elbow issue in the past, that now he had the procedure and it's got to be good for the rest of the contract now? Like, is there any sense of that at all or no? The, from, from my end, and uh, I, I, you know, in my job, I like today I was looking at plays where they make the, the, the certain plays and the, it was like the 90 to 100% uh, percent, uh, chance of making a play and then 60 to 90, you know, and uh, I look at Trevor and, you know, obviously, it didn't look like he had a strong arm, but I don't feel he got exposed last year. Cut off mm-hmm. and release, it was good. He turned to the play. Uh, I even told him, you know, I said, bro, you you were like diving to your right in the shift and throwing this way and getting people out. So he, he was able to to play that way and, and be the best defensive second baseman at one point last year. So now I do believe – you know, he's going to get stronger, I think, for him up here, too. Like, okay, this is over. Um, you know, I'm going to be a shortstop again uh, unless something crazy happens, right? But, uh, you know, whatever position he plays, second or short, he's going to be fine. I think offensively, you saw some flashes last year. Um, the season for him was so different. It was weird, right? Uh, he signed late, then uh, the baby, then – he starts playing in New York. He gets sick. He lost like 10 pounds. And and when he caught up, it was a little bit, not late. It was later than usual, right? And he went off and then he got hit by in the hand and all that. So, you know, hopefully we turn the page with all this stuff and he'll be ready to play and uh, play 
the type of baseball he's capable of because he's a great defender. He can hit the ball out of the ballpark and he's, he can steal bases. So uh, with the new rules, you know, if, if, if you look at him as a base runner, it's the biggest lead in, in, in baseball at first base. So now he can take advantage of the, the, the rules and steal more bases probably. Yeah, I mean, that guy can scoot. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on Cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on Cars.com. So you guys, I thought you recovered pretty well after what happened with Story, where you pick up Adam Duvall. And I'm looking at some of the stuff like I know last year, obviously, he's hurt. But you go back to 2019, this guy hit 38 home runs, the same amount as Rafi. You guys last year were 20th in home runs. And from your outfielders, you guys were 28th. So obviously, that helps you there. And then the other thing is, he won the gold glove in 2019. And it, it wasn't like fabricated. The guy had 19 defensive runs saved, tied for the most in baseball. So it feels like he helps you in multiple ways where he helps you defensively and offensively. So did this come about because of the story thing, or were you guys sort of already targeting a guy like him that can play high-level defense and hit for some power? Well, because of Kike, we were just looking around and see, you know, if it's a second baseman, if it's a center fielder. One thing for sure, we need a right-handed bat. Mm-hmm. Um, you got Yoshida, you got Verdugo, Casas, um, and Rafi. So, you know, we need some right-handed power. Especially, I mean, we play at Fenway, you know, like we, we need that. We got JT, but he he's a different type of hitter. You know, JT is one of those guys uh, that with men at third and less than two outs and the infield is back, he's going to cash in. You know, he's not going to hit a fly ball. He'll, he'll go the other way and get the RBI. He's going to put the ball in play. Uh, he's excited about playing Fenway. I told him the other day, I said, man, you're going to hit a few fly balls to left field, and you're going to be like, wow, this ain't Dodger Stadium. Uh, you know, <laughs> Although Dodger Stadium has become a more friendly uh, hitter's ballpark, but, you know, it plays big sometimes. So, And uh, when when Trevor goes down, we recognize a few outfielders, and, um, you know, some of them, you know, one of them signed somewhere else, and Adam was right there, and, you know, Heim in the front office, we kept you know, we kept talking about good defense and right hand to pop, similar to Hunter a few years ago, right? So yeah. uh, you know, he's healthy, he's in great spot. He, you know, he likes the challenge of playing center field. Um, you know, he he's great in, in the corners, he's good in center field. Um, you know, we'll move it around. Uh, I think versatility wise, he helps. You know, you can move Doogie, you can move uh Adam. You can move Kike. So I think as far as the roster, there's a lot of moving parts, which is make us makes it fun, right? And uh one thing that we we talk about this year is a lot different with the schedule. I mean, it's gonna be hard. We there's there's one trip that we go to the West Coast, come back home, we play the Mets and somebody else, and then we go back to the West Coast, you know, right away in six days. So oh, I think geez. rest is gonna be important. We gotta take care of players. And the more versatile we are, the better it's going to be. Yeah, the other thing I noticed, too, about your guys' offseason, before Duvall, who is a high strikeout guy, but it makes up for it when you can drop 38 bombs in a season. But some of these other additions you guys made, Yoshida and you mentioned Turner. By the way, did you see him in that Nomar shirt today on Instagram? He, 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 <laughs> JT knows what he's doing, man. He yeah. knows. He knows. Yeah, he, get, he, uh, he gets it already. He gets it. He gets it, yeah. But so obviously you got the change with the sh- with the rules and the shift. But both Yoshida and Justin Turner are guys that will walk and guys that, of course, will not strike out a lot. And you look at the top five teams last year in baseball and strikeout rate. All five of them made it into the postseason. The Astros are perennial one perennial one of the teams that don't strike out a lot. So yeah. was that sort of like an emphasis with you guys in the offseason before, of course, Duvall is to get more balls in play with the new rules and get maybe more walks because that was also an issue at times last year? Uh, I do believe uh, September, if you look at September, I'll give you that nugget. Check check our on-base percentage. Uh, I think it was the highest in the big leagues in, in September. Uh, Rafi walked 15 times. Kike walked like 13 times. Um, 
who else? Well, Casas, that's a different at bat, as you know. 20%. That, that's, 20% that's, uh, walk rate. I, I know I know. Dan doesn't like it. Sean is he, right? Because uh, <laughs> he's 180, but, man, you know, he gets some base. And uh, and he, he'll be fine. Like, coming up to the big leagues is not as easy as people make it seem, right? Like, because you dominate triple A or you're good in double A, this is the big leagues, you know, and you're going to struggle. Uh, but he he actually didn't struggle. He just didn't hit for average, but he got on base. So I, I do believe moving the line is important. Grinding at bats is very important, and uh, you know we we can do it. We we do believe we can do it. Uh, power, you know, it was we needed we needed power. We needed power, and I think JT Yoshida um, <clears throat> and Adam. They will provide that, and then you, know, you get a good at bat from Doogie, and and, and I think Doogie has accepted the challenge. Um, you know, he's going to be playing in the tournament, which is actually for me, for my end, it's great. You know, just show up early, be ready, go to the WBC, play for Mexico, get your at bats in a in a high pressure environment, and he he loves that, right? And uh, I think it's going to benefit him. Uh, for for the start of the season, usually a slow starter, right? So in this one, he needs to be ready because uh, if you're not, all the Mexicans are gonna let him know, you know. So uh, <laughs> so expecting, uh, I, I think he finished strong last year. He controlled the strikes and he he took his walks too. Not too many ground balls uh, towards the end of the season, and uh, I, I think he has an understanding of who who he wants to be. I, I don't think. The whole hitting home runs thing is sealing his mind. It's, it's very similar to Benny. Um, you know, in 19, he wanted to hit 40, and his swing changed. And then you see him now when he went to Kansas City, spreading the ball all over the place, stealing bases, hitting for doubles, and playing good defense. And I think Doogie can do that. Yeah, and by the way, I looked that up for you. 348 in September, you guys were first in the American League. So you're spot on on that. So the other thing, it mentioned Verdugo. It does feel like it's a huge season for him, right? Coming into his 27-year-old season. But you also mentioned, or we mentioned earlier, Yoshida. So I'm really interested in him because, I mean, you look at some of these numbers from Japan, right? And he would be second in Major League Baseball last year in strikeout rate. He would be third in walk rate. And then the power numbers are really good over in Japan as well. So I assume that you guys believe that the bat-to-ball stuff, based on what you guys gave him, is obviously going to come over but what about these power numbers how do you expect him to hit in terms of against major league pitching do you see those power numbers staying there too or will they take a little dip what are you guys expecting from him honestly from from my end uh you know i hate to put numbers but hit a lot of doubles you know and, mm-hmm. and i think with time he's going to understand what they're going to try to do to him and uh, he's going to beat the ball to the spot in certain situations uh for everything we hear from uh, from their group, from Oryx, you know, their hitting coaches, all that. This guy, he he understands hitting. You know, like it's kind of like hit the ball solid. You know, throughout the bat with two strikes, backtrack the ball, and um, you know, you go the other way. And then we play a fan way. That's going to benefit him. Um, I got a good friend of mine, Neftali Soto. He played for Cincinnati a little bit. He's been in Japan for the last three years. I think he led the league in home runs three years ago, and He's been talking about Yoshida for the last two day, two years. You know, he's like, Alex, this is the guy. This is the guy. He's kind of like my scout on the other side. <laughs> Obviously, our homework, you know, this is this has been going on for forever. And uh the name has been circling around the organization for a while. And um I was a little bit surprised when they kept talking about him and, and public the public didn't talk about him, you know, early in the offseason. And I was like, Well, are we are we right? You know, but I do believe we're right. I believe this guy is gonna is gonna help us. Uh, I think you know, just the the professional the the, the bat is gonna is gonna be very important. It's it's just different than 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 what we were last year or two years ago. I mean, we we love to swing the bat. We love to swing a lot, you know. And uh, now it's a little bit different. I think it's gonna it's gonna be good for us and. You know, the guy, he's not afraid either, man. I love the fact that in, in the press conference, without knowing the language, right, he tried, which is important, right? And uh, he he's a character. Um, you know, the whole macho man thing and all that is is, is real. <laughs> I talked to him a little bit 
right after the press conference. Uh, he'll be in Fort Myers early. And looking forward to, to just to, to know the guy. Um, uh, a little bit different with the tournament, you know, and, and, and that's something that it's going to be hard for him because he's flying to Fort Myers and flying to Japan again. Uh, and they should be one of the favorites, right, to win it. So then he has to fly to Miami. Then whatever happens, happens. And then he he goes to Fort Myers. So there's been a lot of miles the last probably month, two months. So we have to be ready for that and take care of him. But, uh, you know, the hitter I'll take defensively. I know a lot of people are down on him, but – they play fundamental baseball in Japan. You know, they don't make too many mistakes. You play on turf, that you have to be a little bit hesitant in certain things, you know, can be too aggressive because if not, the ball bounces over your head. Uh, the routes have to be deeper because it's so fast. So um, he should be okay. I mean, I play with Manny, and Manny, you know, <laughs> he was a, you know, just hit the ball off the wall, throw the second, keep it at first, and make all the routine plays. And that's what we want. But I, I think, He's going to surprise people. I think uh, he'll be okay in the outfield. Yeah, as long as Manny's not cutting off Johnny Damon, we're all good. <laughs> <laughs> or he's hiding in the green monster. So I have to ask you about this. The bullpen last year, obviously, it was an issue. Meltdowns tied for third, the walk rate 25th, the ERA 26th. And one of the things I know you mentioned last year, you needed more strike throwers. And then you saw last year you didn't really have like to use your term, structure to the bullpen, right? We had, you had issues in terms of, hey, who are you going to? And I look at the moves that you guys made this offseason. Martin, this guy walked the fewest guys in baseball last year, 2.2% walk rate. He walked five guys all season. You just pick up Blyer, who was six in Major League Baseball in walk rate, who keeps, not a strikeout guy, but keeps the ball on the ground. And then, of course, Canley Jansen, who is one of the best closers of his generation, so it feels like, and you already had Schreiber there, who it felt like you guys had to use him so much, and he was worn down yeah. by the end, but we know how good he is. It feels like you have a closer, you got two really good setup men, and you got a lot of different arms with the bullpen. I have to imagine that you had a lot of influence on this, Alex, in terms of upgrading this bullpen and the type of guys you went after. I mean, you must be thrilled that you got this type of group. Yeah, I mean, we talk about it, and it's been it's been a grind. It was last year, um, you know, I think in 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 21, what Maddie did the first half of the season was amazing, and you saw what we did, right? And uh, there's something about those last three outs. Yeah, I get it. You know, like the 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 heart of the lineup might come in the eighth. I mean, people people can do the job too in the eighth. You know, like it doesn't have to be your best reliever. It can be one of your best, right? And uh, um, you know, in in 18. We had Joe, Craig, and Barnsey, and then and then in the sixth and seventh, you manage a game certain ways. And if, if there were a lot of lefties coming up, then Joe will be the guy. And then if it was a bunch of righties, then it was Barnsey. And I think with this group, we're going to be able to do that. Um, you know, a lot of people have left, a lot of new people around. I think Joelle is a lefty that um, if we get him to throw strikes, he's going to be impactful. And um, we we found a few things with Brazier towards the end of the season last year. I know it's a big topic, you know. Uh, every time we, we something happens, it's like, how come uh, <laughs> Brazier is in? And hey, man, we it's one of those that he, he's he he bought into something that we preached last year, and he was amazing. He 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 always throws strikes. It's just about which pitchers are you using to throw strikes, right? And uh, he said a quote at one point during the season, and it's like, he li I live and die with my fastball. And I pulled him into the office. I said, no, 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 we don't die with your fastball. We don't want to <laughs> die with your fastball. Yeah, so, uh, and there's some talent too, you know, or he throws hard, Ellie with the changeup. And there's a few guys in the that are going to be in AAA this year that at one point they're going to contribute. So uh, we do feel very good about it. If you don't throw strikes at this level, you're going to run into 2-0, counts, and we play in the best division in baseball in uh, ballparks that are conducive for, to offense. Uh, you know, Yankee Stadium, um, Camden Yards to the, you know, to the poolside for lefties. And all of a sudden, Toronto, I don't know why, all of a sudden they move defenses in, all that. I mean, like, 
what else do you want to do? You know, like, <laughs> I mean, you guys are amazing. You guys hit yeah. homers and all that. And now let's move the fences in. So uh, you got to be ahead in the count. You got to bury people. I think last year, um, you know, with two strikes, we gave up too much damage. We didn't put people uh, away. So it should be better in a sense. You know, we should throw more strikes. Uh, we should throw more strikes uh, out of the rotation too, I, I do believe. So uh, we're in a good spot. I don't want to say that this is, you know, 2018 uh, all over again. You know, like everybody, you know, thought that we were the best team in the division and we had to win the division and win the World Series to to justify that. But uh thing is becoming really interesting for a lot of people, you know, and then also you look at the team, it's like, oh, you know what? Yeah, they're they're better than people thought probably a month ago, right? Yeah, it is an interesting team now, and it almost seems like you guys have an extra starter. Obviously, you could use depth, but I know Haim has said that you guys are working Tanner up to be a starter. What do you envision his role being? Because it does feel like, obviously, you have Pavetta, you have Paxson, you have Sale, you have Bayo, you have Garrett Whitlock coming back as well. What do you envision Tanner's role? Well, you know, one of the things that we have to wait and see is, like, when we get to spring training, we have all these names and we have talent. Yeah. we got to see if they're... They're going to be able to post, right? Uh, I think all of them have uh, red flags in a sense, right? Bayo, he's young. Uh, Whitlock, uh, hip surgery. Tanner, back surgery. Sale, you know, uh, he needs to get a bike instead of a, a bicycle, you know? Uh, <laughs> no, but you know, you know what I'm saying? Paxson, you know, what's he going to be? The good thing is that this group, the medical staff, have dealt with stuff like this before. You know, Eduardo doesn't pitch in 20. And he was able to pitch in 21 like a regular starter. So when we get there to, to Fort Myers, um, we're going to see where we at. Um, if somebody's behind, he's behind. Um, you know, perfect example of that is 18, right? No Pomeranz, no Rodriguez early on. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you who pitched game four and game five of that season. You know, it was I'll give you the first three. Sale, Price, Porcello, who pitched game four? Hmm. I don't know. Who was it? Hector Hector Velasquez started. Oh, wow. And then, and that then guy was five, valuable for you guys, though. He ate up innings. And then game five in, in, in Miami, the first game in Miami, it was BJ. You know, yeah. so I'm a big believer that if you're going to go through this, kind of like somebody's behind whatever or somebody's hurt, you're better off early in the season to have these problems, right? Like, because they're going to, they're going to be back. It doesn't have, it didn't happen in 19 In 19. We were healthy going into it and then everybody got hurt. And then the guys that we, we called up at that point, everybody has caught up with their swings. Everybody has caught up with the offense and they're going to put you in a bad spot. So I'm not saying these guys are banged up, but we got to be smart about it because we're playing for 162 plus. And uh, the good thing is that we got, a lot of names, a lot of talent. It's just a matter to see where they are in spring training, and then we make decisions. Yeah, and with Chris Sale, I saw him saying that Humpty Dumpty got put back together, which was an awesome quote. And Hopefully with a changeup. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, and so you mentioned that, that, okay, the big thing for him is the changeup. He didn't really have it in 2021, and he pitched pretty well for a guy that only really had two effective pitches. And one of the things I was looking at is if you look, and I know tiny sample size last year, but the velocity was really close to where it was in 18. It was 94.9 on average with the fastball. And if you look at it, 2021 and going back to 19, he's in the 93 territory. 18, he's over 95 miles an hour. So, Alex, I'm like starting to get excited for sale day. Like, I, I know we've got a lot of injuries with this guy in the past, but it does feel like this is, and he said it, it's like the first normal offseason he's had in a long time. Yes, uh, he's in a good spot, I think, uh not having to to deal with like all this stuff that he had to de deal the last few years, it, it, it helps, you know, like go to JetBlue, do your thing, go with the kids and hang out instead of just grinding through it. And uh, uh, one of the things I told him uh, in winter weekend, there's no expectations. Like there's no like opening day start. I, I don't want to put the whole weight of this team on his shoulders. We We've been through that in 21 we did it last year and i'm gonna stop that right away you know because i i don't need that we we need this guy to post every five days 
and uh, understanding that he hasn't been healthy since 2018 in August, probably, right? Like, yeah. I mean, and and what I saw in that summer in 18, the way he pitched, I, I, I've been around great pitchers, you know, Kevin Brown, uh, Johan Santana, I played with them, and what Chris did that summer was unreal. You know, it was like, wow, this is seven innings every time at 98, 99, and just, you know, move on. And uh, is he going to get back to that? I don't know. But the competitor, the guy that wants to win every game, that throws championship caliber pitches every time he's on the mound, yeah, we'll get that guy, you know. And I think, he, like you said, he did an outstanding job in 21. The, the last game – that he pitched, he was amazing. You know, it just we just got beat by by a Cuban freak, right? Uh, Alvarez. You know, we oh, kept yeah. throwing him fastballs. We didn't spin the ball, and uh, he beat us. But overall, he was actually good that game. And uh, I think last year he was in a great spot. You go back to that Yankee game. There was one out, man, a second and third. Grumble to Rafi, he throws it away. He goes yeah. to the play, he throws it away. Let me his scores, and then. The line drive happens, you know, but uh, he'll he'll be fine. He, just like Paxson, right? Like these guys are very talented. You know, they know what they can do. Just a matter of like, just go out there, pitch every five days, help us out. You know, if that's your role, and uh, you know the season will dictate where we're gonna be. And uh, for us to be good, they have to be good. We know that, but I don't want to put the whole burden on on those guys. And with Whitlock, obviously he's coming back from the hip issue in the offseason, but he comes into the rotation this year, at least that's the plan. I know last year he had some difficulties the second time through the order, but I mean, I'm not really worried about that because it's his first time as a starting pitcher at the big league level. He goes from TJ like the year off to being in your guy's bullpen, being an elite reliever. So you trust the mentality, you trust the stuff. What's the biggest thing for him, you think, being successful in the rotation now that he's going to get a chance? But one thing for him like six innings, three runs is good. You know, like, and he, he hates that, you know, like he, <laughs> he's like, Oh, they scored three. You know, he, he's such a perfectionist. And then, and he needs to understand that the best of the best, you know, the, the people that are in the hall of fame, they have an ERA, you know, like it's two, five or threes or whatever, you know, it's, it's not going to be 1.9 the, the, the rest of your career, like uh, two years ago. Right. Um, he he learned a lot from the from the starting thing last year, as far as like understanding the opposition, you know, game planning. It's it's a lot easier with his stuff. Come out of the bullpen and one inning and just throw fastball after fastball after fastball, get three outs and move on. When you have to go through lineup twice or three times a game, other pitches have come into play, and he needs to be better at that. Uh, recognize. You know, when they're sitting on the changeup, you know, recognize when they're looking inside. And I think he, he did a good job uh, understanding that. And he's in a better place going going forward as a starter now. Yeah, I'm excited to watch Bayo, too. The stuff is just nasty. I love the fact that he worked out with Pedro. I mean, ton of ground balls, swinging. The changeup is ridiculous. But, hey, Alex, before we let you go, I got to let you out on this. So if you look at the Red Sox World Series team, obviously, I feel like the 2007 team that you were on doesn't get like enough buzz, right? Because you think about 04, they broke the curse. 13, it was the unbelievable story after the marathon bombing. And then the team that you managed in 18 was sort of the wagon, the most wins in the history of the Red Sox organization. But that 07 team, I mean, you have Ortiz at his prime, Pedroia's coming into his own and playing at a high level. And you have Josh Beckett was incredible Beckett. in that postseason run. I mean, do you think you guys get sort of shortchanged here when we talk about the Red Sox World Series team? I mean, people forget how good that 07 team was. People forget that we we were down 3-1 in Cleveland, Cleveland right? Yeah. Like, I mean, it wasn't 3-0, of course. It wasn't the Yankees. But, uh, you know, we were down 3-1 against CeCe at Cleveland. And uh, I know they, they brought up, uh, you know, they for the National Anthem, they brought up the, the, uh, Josh... Beckett's ex-girlfriend, right? Oh, yeah. You know, for that. I forgot that about that. That was it. That, that, I mean, that was the end. You know, he's like, I got this. You know, like, whoever came up with that idea, not great. Then JD hit the Grand Slam against uh, Fausto Carmona. Uh, and then, you know, Petey took over in, in game seven against uh, Bethancourt, who was amazing. That was a really good Cleveland team. 
Um, we were just good. Uh, boring, probably, right? Like, I mean, we had the big boys. We had Manny and David, but uh, around them, it was JD, who was quote-unquote boring, just a good player. Uke with his thing, whatever, but a bunch of good players. Uh, Jacoby came in at the end. It was very talented. It was very talented. I know Tito feels like the 2018 was better, more talented than the 2007. I don't agree with that. I think 07 was a really good baseball team that uh, just show up every day and uh, just play good baseball. And all of a sudden you look up, it's like, oh, you know, they're 20 games over 500, you know. So that's what we're trying to accomplish, man. Uh, if we have to make it boring this year, playing good baseball and running the bases well and playing good defense, We'll do it that way, and, uh, you know, the, the goal here is to be better than last year. I mean, obviously, that's kind of like whatever, you know, like we expect that, right? But uh, the goal is to make it to the playoffs and win the World Series as every year, and uh, I think we, we're we in a good place right now. I think uh, the clubhouse, I know a lot of people are worried about that, but we got a bunch of people that have been very successful the last five, six, seven, eight years. They know how to win, and they're going to help the young kids understand that yeah it does kind of have like a 13 vibe to it in terms of just like adding a lot of veterans with the young and upcoming guys as well all right that is the manager of the red sox alex core alex thanks so much for the time man i really appreciate it and good luck this season and enjoy the rest of the mini vacation before you get to spring training thank you brother i appreciate it we'll do it again this episode is brought to you by state farm you might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Spring is here, and you can now get almost anything you need for your sunny days delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a well-groomed lawn delivered, but you can get a chicken parmesan delivered. A cabana? That's a no. But a banana? That's a yes. A nice tan? Sorry. Nope. But a box fan? Happily yes. A day of sunshine? No. A box of fine wines? Yes. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol in select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. All right, welcome back into Off the Pike. Great stuff there from Alex Core. Really enjoyed chatting with Alex. I thought that was hilarious what he said about Josh Beckett, where once Cleveland brought out his old girlfriend, they knew that <laughs> the Red Sox are going to win that game. He knew that they were going to win because of that. And Beckett was incredible during that 07 postseason run. That guy was absolutely phenomenal. Some takeaways from what he was talking about with us. Just So if you think about it, I feel like he felt way more comfortable about where the bullpen's at. And how could he not after what we saw in 2022? He just didn't really have reliable relievers to go with. And now you have Jansen, even if he's not in his prime and even if he's not the guy that he was two years ago, he's still a really, really good closer. And you got a guy that you know at the back end of the bullpen is going to be dependable for you. You got two guys and Chris Martin and the Blyer that we talk about that are going to throw strikes, are going to attack the strike zone. And Martin's stuff is nasty. He's a really good pitcher as well. So I think that's something going into the season where they feel a lot better about. I do think in terms of the rotation, it's going to be interesting. And you heard what he said about Tanner Houck, where I asked him what the role was going to be. And essentially, he said, well, we got to find out when we get down there, right? Because there's a lot of question marks with these guys. When you're talking about Bayo, it's more about just youth and maturity, right? Not to say he's an immature kid, but maturing as a big league pitcher. And the stuff is nasty. I believe in the kid. I think there's a lot of high upside there. Could be as early as this year where it's like, okay, this guy's at the top end of the rotation for the Sox. I did think it was interesting what he said about Sale. We don't want to put that pressure on him. And I can understand. I mean, Sale, this has been like a three, four-year journey where he hasn't been the same pitcher re really since the World Series. We mentioned this is the first real offseason that he's had, whereas an actual offseason where he's just ramping up to get ready for the year. And you heard what I said the other day. The velocity was closer last year to where it was in 18 compared to 2021 and 19. I feel more optimistic about Sale than I think most Paxton is the ultimate wild card, right? Because this guy's coming off TJ. Then he has the lat issue last year, 17 through 19. This guy was phenomenal. The strikeout rate was over 30%. He was actually seventh in Major League Baseball during that stretch behind Sale, Scherzer, Cole, Verlander, Robbie Ray, and Jacob DeGrom. Like all those guys besides Sale <laughs> have won a Cy Young and Sale had a 300 strikeout season. 
But the problem is when he started building up these injuries, the velocity dipped dramatically, like 17 through 19 fastballs at 95. And you look at 2020s at 92. The cutter was at 88 miles an hour from 17 through 19 on average, 85.4 in 2020. So the velocity dipped off. So this guy, you really don't know what you're going to get out of this guy. So he is really the ultimate question mark in the rotation. But you do have some depth there. You know what Pavetta is in terms of a back end of the rotation guy. And Helk, if you need him to start, he obviously could. And they're working him up to be a starter. So the rotation is interesting. You don't have a guy that you can look at and say right away, hey, this guy is going to be an ace. Sure, a couple of years ago, you could say that about Sale. But it's definitely a question mark going into the season. And then the other thing I would mention in terms of what Alex said, well, two things is he's challenging Verdugo. He clearly thinks that Verdugo needs to have a big season for them. And I would agree. I mean, we know that the defense slipped off a season ago. He's entering his 27-year-old season, one year of arbitration after this. This is a big year for Verdugo. This is, hey, let's go. You got to prove, hey, are you going to be a long-term member of this organization? So huge year for Verdugo. And he also mentioned the power, which I think that's something that was sorely missed last year in the lineup. It feels like he's really high on Turner coming into the season, where Turner two years ago did hit 27 home runs, comes to Fenway, you got the green monster work with, could hit a bunch of doubles. And then Turner, to me, it's an upgrade over JD because you look at Turner, he's not going to strike out as much. JD's power numbers dropped dramatically last year. And Turner has been throughout his career an on base machine, 366 on base percentage. So I am excited to see this group, right? Where it's like they didn't have like a huge offseason splash or anything along those lines, but it is an interesting group. And I'm excited to watch Red Sox baseball this year. Like I'm not, and I was really down after the whole Bogart situation, but I do think it's at least an interesting team. And like, I have storylines to look forward to now. I feel like sale coming back. I want to see him. I want to see Bayo first year in the rotation. I want to see Whitlock as a starter. I want to see Cassis his first year. I want to see Yoshida. So I do actually think like, and I know a couple of months ago, I didn't think they were an interesting team. I'm starting to think this team could be at least interesting, right? Like that's the big thing. Keep me interested because last year, and look, I watch all the games because at the time I'm doing the pre and the post game show and I'm just like a sucker. Like the Red Sox are going to have me no matter what. I'm going to be watching every single Red Sox game that I can. I'm going to be at a bunch of games. So they have me to begin with. But I do feel like by the end, it's kind of like, man, this is not a good product. This is not an interesting product. And I do feel at least this year, and this is not what Red Sox fans want to hear, but I do feel like they have an interesting product. All right. I did want to get to the Celtics and the Bees because they both played tonight. Seas absolutely destroyed the Nets, 139 to 96. And they outscored them 46 to 16 in the first quarter. It's very rare in the NBA that it doesn't matter how bad the team is and how good the team is. It's very rare that you watch an NBA game and it's over in the first quarter. Think about it. How many times do we see that? Very, very rarely. And Jacques Vaughn was forced to take a timeout with 8.38 left in the first quarter because the Celtics had taken a 14-3 to lead. Timeout didn't help much, right? You had a bunch of like just right away, you see the Celtics getting downhill to begin this game. Rob gets a dunk on a Jalen feed. Next possession, Tatum gets downhill. He scores with his right hand. So I love that. Your players, your best players setting the tone. And then Al, a quick outlet to Jalen, walks into a three. Those are the threes I like from Jalen, where he shoots them in rhythm when they're not forced. Then Al missed a shot where Kyrie kind of stripped him. Rob gets his own miss after he had gotten the deflection from Kyrie. Rob gets that. Then he gets his own miss. He tips it in. After that, Jalen, another pull-up three. It was just, and they were off to the races. I mean, these guys were hitting everything. In the first quarter, Tatum has 18 Jalen has 12 points. And the one thing I'm going to say is this, like I know Durant wasn't playing and I know Ben Simmons wasn't playing or actually, I don't know if that helps or hurts the Nets, but nonetheless, you have to give them credit when they play this way, right? Because like when they lose to the Bulls or when they lose to the Orlando Magic, everybody's shitting on the Celtics. They didn't bring the necessary effort. Well, yes, they should have won this game tonight. Should they have been up 46 to 16 after the first quarter? No. So when they outperform our expectations, even though we assume they're going to win the game, you have to give them credit when they perform like this, right? I mean, this was just, we don't see this very often in the league. Uh, real quickly in terms of an interesting thing I saw from Joe Mazzulla at the beginning of the game, and we didn't really get a lot of information on it because the game was over so quickly, is just a little thing where I don't know if this would be a playoff wrinkle and Smart's out of the lineup and he would be starting, but instead of starting with Derek White on Kyrie, he started Jalen on Kyrie and Derek White on Curry. And I thought this is interesting because it makes sense to me now thinking about it where Derek White is much better at navigating screens off the ball than Jalen Brown is. And 
put the bigger defender on Kyrie and Jalen Brown and have White chase Curry off screens off the ball. I actually really like that thought by Joe Mazzula. And I do feel like sometimes, and like I said, this is not supposed to be an indictment on Jalen. Sometimes he can kind of fall asleep when he's off the ball defending, but when he's engaged, when he has that challenge, the one-on-one matchup, that's ordinarily when he steps up. So I did like that idea. By the way, Tatum was a plus 46 in this game while Kyrie was a minus 39. Tatum had 31 points in 29 minutes. He hit seven threes. Jalen hit seven threes. The team was 26 of 54, 48.1% from three-point territory. So just a dominant effort from the Celtics, which you needed to see after the controversial Lakers game. And now look at Kyrie. His last six games against the Celtics, of course, they've lost them all. Nine of 24, seven of 21, six of 13, six of 17, four of 13. So if you take his last six games, he is now... After tonight, he goes 9 of 18. He's 40 of 106, his last six games against the Celtics. That's 37.7%, 18 points per game. You know what his plus minus is? And look, he has a bad one tonight, as we alluded to. Minus 73 in his last six games against the Celtics. So it's just, it is nice and rewarding to see the Celtics beat up on Kyrie Irving. He was hearing it from the crowd before the game, during the game, and even after the game had been over. You had the Kyrie sucks chant as the final seconds are dwindling down. So never, it's never going to get old seeing Kyrie lose to the Celtics. One thing I wanted to get to, though, so earlier this week, Wick told NBC Sports Boston, the conversation that I had with Brad is, it's about this year. It's not about this will pay dividends in three years or this will do this next year. This is the year. Muscle up and let's go get the job done. That's his instructions, and that's what we're going to try and do. If there's anything to do, we'll do it. If not, we love this team. We're top of the league right now. So, by the way, Brad Stevens on the Celtics show on 98.5 said, what is probably more likely is we're evaluating how to fortify our depth, how to make sure you are as foul-proof as possible. Okay, so on those two quotes, the first part in terms of what Wick is saying, I love the fact that he's saying that as the owner of the team, and I know Wick will back that up because Wick said Brad doesn't have any restrictions in the offseason, and he went over the tax. So, when Wick ordinarily, when he says something, believe it, because it's usually the truth. Like he he has no incentive to just make stuff up because his behavior would tell you that he's actually going to do that, right? But with Brad saying foul proof as possible. So the foul proof to me means for Giannis and Embiid, right? It certainly doesn't mean this Nets team, even with Durant, they don't take a lot of free throws. 20.7 per game, which is 29th in the NBA. So it makes me think for a couple of reasons that this means a big, and then you link this with the reporting that Jay King had of The Athletic, where he said the C's are scanning the league for another big man. He lists Mason Plumley, Jay Sean Tate, PJ Washington, Kelly Olenek, and Chris Boucher. So out of that group, I don't want to do business with Danny for obvious reasons. Like, I'm forever, great, uh, I'm forever grateful of Kelly Olenek for that game seven that he had against the Washington Wizards. Like he has the Olenek game, right? But Danny, I could see him getting like some kind of crazy deal for Kelly Olenek. And look, I'm not saying that Kelly Olenek's worth a crazy deal, but it's Danny Age. I don't want to mess around with Danny Age. PJ Washington is going to need a contract and he's an undersized five. As for Plumlee, actually having his best scoring season, 12.2 per game on 67.4%, 9.7 rebounds per game, 3.6 assists per game. 6'11", 254, so he is a massive body. Now, his free throw percentage is actually up to 61.5% after he switched to lefty. He was below 40% last season. I've never been a huge fan of his game, but he's a big body, expiring contract. If you want to give up nothing for the guy, I don't mind it. It's just like insurance. If you're not giving up an actual asset, fine. I'm not going to enjoy watching Plumlee play, but whatever. Chris Boucher is an interesting name to me from Toronto. He doesn't help with Embiid, clearly. I mean, the guy's 200 pounds. He has a tiny frame. He's a big guy, but in terms of he's tall, but he's incredibly skinny. But he's a very active guy. He's per 36, 16.6 points, 10 rebounds, 1.3 block per game. And here's the good thing about Boucher. He's got a very reasonable contract. Two years after this, 11.7 mil, 10.8 mil. So obviously he doesn't help you against Embiid. This, again, is more Rob and Al insurance. And if you look at it, the reason that I bring up Boucher as an interesting name is just What if Grant's not back, right? Because Grant's going to get a big payday. If he's not back, you have Horford in terms of the extension, and he'll be 37 next year, and we know he's not going to play in back-to-backs. We know Rob's injury history, right? So it feels like, to me, if you're 
even engaged with the Raptors about Boucher, that's a long-term move for the next couple of years. That's looking ahead to the next couple of seasons. If you lose a guy and just having more depth in the backcourt, and if they're kicking the tires on bigs, that means they don't have faith in Cornette, right? Because if they had faith in Cornette, they wouldn't be doing this, right? And Chris Boucher, the last two years, he is a good health bet. 80 games last year, and then this season, he's 46 of 52. So he's pretty good in terms of the health, health, which is something you need behind both Al and Rob Williams. So that's an interesting long-term move if they were interested. I would not hate that just in case Grant leaves and just to give yourself some insurance in terms of the big men. But the one thing that concerns me is that we're getting all these reports about big men, right? Because it just makes me think they don't trust Rob. And I get it. He played 17 to 24 games. He just missed the Lakers game. So that just has me a little bit worried, right? Like, I feel like because none of these guys are playing, right, that we talked about. None of those guys are playing if you have a healthy Rob and a healthy Al in playoff games. So, look, it behooves you to get some insurance naturally, but it does make you start to get anxiety, right, thinking about Rob Williams and his health. It's just something we're ultimately going to have to deal with throughout his tenure here is just the guy's always going to be a health risk. And unfortunately, you got to plan for that. But the position that I would look at, right, like I understand adding another big, the position that I would look at, because of course we know the situation with Gallinari, and I mentioned Tatum's minutes the other day, it's the wing line, and it's more for the regular season like an innings eater than anything else. And you think about some of the guys on the wing line involved, Kuzma has a player option for next season, he's going to get paid, right? Like he would be an unbelievable hired gun for this team. This guy is having an unbelievable season, averaging 21 a game, he can get a bucket, he can defend, but Washington may want him back. I mean, they've alluded to the fact that they want him back. And if you're going to trade for Kuzma, you're giving up big time assets. I don't even think the Celtics could get into the conversation with trading for Kuzma. But I was just thinking like Kuzma, that would be incredible for this team. And I hope he doesn't go to a contender because I do feel like that guy can really help a contender. We know he can play in big games. We saw what he did in the playoffs a couple of years ago. Good defender, can really shoot the ball, gets hot, can get his own bucket. That's a scary guy that could move at the trading deadline, but I think ultimately Washington holds on to him. Another guy that would be interesting to me is Thibel, but he plays for Philly. So you're not getting that deal done just because it's Daryl Morey. Boston and Philly are not doing a deal at the deadline. But the reason I bring up Thibel is he's like out of favor in Philly this year. He's not getting a lot of minutes. And I've always liked his game as an an additional defender on the wing line, but that's not going to happen. The name I'd look at is Alec Burks. Now, he's under contract next year on a club option. He's on a deal right now, two for a 20 and a half. He's shooting 44.6% on threes on 4.5 attempts per game. Last year, 40.4% on 4.8 per game. Year before that, 41.5% on five a game. So you get the point. This guy is a flamethrower, right? And you look at the Pistons numbers. With Burks on the floor, 117.5 offensive rating. With them off, 109.7. So essentially, you go from the best offense in the NBA, right? Better than the best offense in the NBA this season to the 29th ranked offense when Alec Burks leaves the court. I'm not saying like he's this incredible offensive player, but he does give them spacing and he gives them shooting. And if you're looking at it, this could be like the perfect fit for the Celtics. But you have to wonder where Detroit's at, right? Because they know that they have a very valuable player here. The asking price to me is probably going to be pretty high because Detroit may say, well, hey, Cade Cunningham missed this entire season. They may say, hey, next year we're going to try to get into the postseason, right? Because, I mean, we'll see what happens with Bogdanovich. He may still be on the team after the trading deadline. They may hold on to Burks and say, hey, we got to try to make a run. Cade Cunningham next year is entering year three. We got to try to at least make a run into the postseason. Not to say that they're contenders or anything, but they're definitely a contender for Wembenyana. They may say, hey, let's keep a couple of these veterans around and see what we can do next season. But that to me would be like an ideal fit if you could get a guy like Alec Burks. I don't see it happening, but that would be a dream scenario for me in terms of what to add at the deadline. Crowder, it feels like he's going to end up in Milwaukee. That seems like a real weird situation to me, by the way. The guy hasn't played like nobody's really seen him. Like nobody's heard from the guy and he is now discussing stuff with Milwaukee. It just seems like a really bizarre situation. I hope he doesn't end up with Milwaukee because it's just another body that Milwaukee can throw at Tatum and Brown, and they don't have a lot of bodies right now that they can't. So that would be a big move for them. Although, who knows? Maybe Jay Crowder's out of shape. I don't know. All right, I did want to get to the Bees as well because they snapped their three-game losing streak. They beat Toronto 5-2, to two, and that was huge just to break up that three-game losing streak because really, if you think about it, the Bruins have not really faced adversity all season long, right? They had not been struggling at all. They lost three in a row. It was like the world was ending, and they go to Toronto tonight, pick up a big win, 
think about the scoring. Forbert scores shorthanded goal, and nice play by Frederick there. Just beat Marner to the puck. Hell of a shorthanded goal by Forbert. Hell of a shot by Forbert. And then Carlo scores as well. And that was the goal where it came where Toronto basically had the same deep pair out there for two minutes or so, and the Bruins completely wore them down. They get a goal from the fourth line in the third period. Greer, just an absolute bullet, glove side. Great goal by Greer. And then Greer and Wayne Simmons get into it. And Simmons wins the fight, but Greer just scored. So you, t- you take the win on that one. But man, I feel like every time the Bees and the Leafs play, Wayne Simmons is fighting a bunch of people. Then you had the Toronto goal to cut it to three to two. And after that, for the second time after a goal, you have an altercation. Coyle gets into it with bunting. They both go to the box. So you get a four on four with 11.22 left. Zaka with just a nasty wrister. And before that, little give and go with Zaka and Grizzlick. Then he gets it to Hall, who then gets it to McAvoy. And you have a situation where Zaka ends up getting it back on the feed from McAvoy and just a hell of a shot from Zaka. And then what we saw there later on in this game where they started the game, did the Bruins with Montgomery, where he had the perfection line back together, Pasta up there with Marshawn and Bergeron. Then he went back to the all-check line where he had Pasta, Zaka, and Krejci. And of course, Zaka, as I mentioned, scored on the wrister. But after that, Pasta wins a puck battle, finds Krejci. Then he finds Zaka. Zaka makes it 5-2. to two. So really nice adjustment there by Montgomery getting that group back together because they've been so good all season long together. The other thing that you like about this game is during the Bruins' three-game losing streak, they have been outscored 6-2 to two in the third period. And we all know the Bruins have been the best third-period team all season long, and they turned that back around tonight. So outstanding job by the Bruins to bounce back and get this thing back on track. All right, great stuff. And as always, make sure to get your voicemails in 617-396-7172, 617-396-7172. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Strudy for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days.